Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltoona.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Well, hey, everybody. Happy Easter. Welcome to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek, and I'm so glad you've joined us today. I hope this is going to be a fantastic day for you as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, so I want to just begin. I don't know if you've had the uh, opportunity to, to, to notice what a difference in your life the pandemic has made. And let me just point out uh, one small area, right? Like we've all grown very used to like social distancing and wearing masks, right? This has become standard fare everywhere you go. You know, every business you go in, they have a sign on the door that says wear a mask. If you walk in without a mask, even if you're somebody that doesn't believe in wearing masks, it automatically makes you feel like a rebel, right? If you've walked into any place without one or accidentally not worn one. So we've been so shaped by this pandemic that I noticed something uh, just a couple weeks ago. We were watching this, this show uh, on Netflix that, that had been recorded before the pandemic began. And uh, as I was watching the show, you know, people were close to each other and they weren't wearing masks. And I found it really weird. Have you had this experience? If you watch any show that began and was recorded before the pandemic began, there's something that feels weird about it, right? And, it, you know, like because all of the newscasts and everything, they've spaced each other out. And, you know, you have people wearing masks when they're doing uh, you know, like a live news broadcast. And uh, so it's been so shaped that when you see something else, it looks weird, right? Have you noticed this? It just looks off. Uh, and I caught this. And I, what the point that I want to make here is there are some events in world history that forever change the trajectory and the, and the direction that life goes, right? Like there have been a number of these uh, in, in history, right? 9-11. If you think about 9-11, before September 11th, 2001, you didn't even have to be a passenger to go to the gate uh, on an airline flight. You could just go through the metal detector and go, and you could sit by the gate. You could greet someone who was coming in. But 9-11 forever changed the way air travel works, right? There are some events that forever change the way the world works. Friends, on Easter, we celebrate one of those things that perhaps the most important thing that has changed the way the world works is the resurrection of Jesus. That the whole world was changed. In an instant, it began this thing that didn't exist called the Christian church, this body of people that surrounds the globe today. People who are today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. It, it, it created all kinds of things that, that influence our everyday life, right? Like the way, if you read Tom Holland's book, Dominion, and the way the world approaches power and the way the world uh, views the powerless, that before Jesus, 
the being powerful was what was important and being of, of uh, marginalized power was, was actually shameful. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, changed forever the way the world sees the powerless. There are some events in world history that change the way the world works. But I think on this Easter, as we remember this, our view is a little bit skewed. Have you ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense? If you haven't, just watch it. I mean, what are you waiting for? It's uh, it's 22 years old. Uh, but if you've ever watched The Sixth Sense for a second time, you can never watch that movie again the way you did the first time, right? Once you catch the twist at the end of The Sixth Sense, it forever spoils the way that you watch the movie because everything else has all kinds of impact and importance. And for us today, this year, 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus, us looking at the resurrection of Jesus is a little bit like watching the sixth sense for the second time. It, 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 it's hard for us to see the way the resurrection would have looked to the disciples. But I want to try today to take a look at this as we explore how it is that the resurrection of Jesus turned upside down the first century world and how it continues to invite our world to be turned upside down. I'm calling today's message kind of in honor of what we all are hoping for. I'm calling today's message a new kind of normal. Would you pray with me and then we'll dig into scripture? So Lord, I do welcome you into this time and into this space. And God, as we long for a new kind of normal, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the way that you have set the world on a new kind of normal because of the resurrection of Jesus. God, for those of us who struggle to believe that Jesus was bodily raised, from the dead. God, I pray that you would give gifts of faith. I pray, God, for people who are hearing my voice, Lord, that you would speak, that you would reach under our defenses, and God, that you would draw people to yourself. God, I pray for salvation today. I pray, Lord, that you would enable me to speak as I should, that I would communicate clearly the message of the gospel. Put power on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me uh, to, to Luke chapter 23? Luke chapter 23. We're going to pick up the story right after Jesus dies on Good Friday, okay? Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 50, here's what we read. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. That's the, uh, the decision of the Sanhedrin to, to crucify Jesus. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. 
but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. This just gets us set up for what we're used to hearing, right? Of, of the, the resurrection. We always begin at 24 verse 1, but this is the setup. And I'll tell you why it becomes important here in a, in a little bit. Continue reading with me. Chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. You know, the scene as we read it, one of the things that we need to understand, even though it seems like they don't get what's happening, it's clear that they don't get what gets what's happening. One of the things that we need to understand is that the all of Christianity hangs on the resurrection. The whole of Christian faith rises and falls on whether or not Jesus was actually bodily resurrected. In fact, it's so important that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. What Paul is basically saying is, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, all of this Christian stuff is nonsense. And we're actually very pitiful for our belief. So everything about the, the Christian faith rises and falls on whether or not Jesus was raised from the dead. And, and in fact, it's actually the, the resurrection of Jesus that gives meaning to the crucifixion. It's the resurrection of Jesus that causes the disciples to go back and say, wait a minute, what did it mean that Jesus was crucified? What was the point of all of that? And, and that's what Jesus is saying in, uh, later on in uh, chapter 24 when he encounters these two disciples on the Emmaus Road and he explains to them the meaning of all that has happened. But it's the resurrection that gives birth to the investigation and what it means that Jesus was crucified. Beyond that, if you look at the, uh, the uh, whole uh, of the message of Acts, 
the, the gospel that the apostles constantly preach is the resurrection of Jesus. It's the crucifixion, but that's so that they can make the point about the resurrection of Jesus. It's critical. It's so critical that whenever they go to choose a replacement for Judas, a replacement apostle, in, in Acts 1 it says, uh, for one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. Yes, they need to understand everything else that Jesus taught, but primarily it's being a witness to the resurrection. Listen, we can have debates on many things about Christian faith, and we do. But one thing that is not up for debate is that the resurrection of Jesus is foundational to Christianity. If you pull that thread, the whole thing comes undone. I, you know, as I was prepping for this message, I saw over and over and over people who claim to be Christians, but who don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Listen, the whole faith is nonsense if Jesus was not raised from the dead. Now, maybe you are somebody who's listening to me and you've struggled with faith. Or maybe you've just outright rejected it because you thought it was something else. But what I want to invite you to consider is that to be a Christian means that you believe that the crucified Messiah Jesus was raised from the dead. All the other things about life, all the other things about faith, build out of the resurrection of Jesus. This is the central piece of what it means to be a Christian. What Christianity is at its foundation is a belief that Jesus was resurrected. It's not a moral, morality improvement program. It's not a political action strategy. It's not just what happens when you die. At its root, it's a belief that in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead has begun. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Now, no matter where you stand today, maybe you're completely committed to Jesus. Maybe you're just sort of like at a surface level, a Christian, or maybe you have rejected Jesus or have rejected Christianity or what you thought Christianity was, the invitation for you today is to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And what the Bible says is repent. And really all this word means is to think again, to turn around, to reorient your thoughts around the reality that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what it is to be a Christian. And that's the invitation today. In fact, it's the invitation to everyone at all times. Will you reorient your life around Jesus as the resurrected Messiah? Now, for some of you, that's a very easy choice today. Maybe you've made that before. And today you're saying, yeah, I, I again, I affirm that that is the message of the gospel. But probably uh, there's a lot of you who are listening to this who are like me, right? I, I don't want to be duped. You know, my struggle as I came to faith was I didn't want to be tricked into believing something that wasn't true. And if you're like me, you're probably asking yourself this question, can the resurrection of Jesus be trusted? I mean, it feels crazy, doesn't it? Because you and I both know that dead people don't rise. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is claiming. 
So can I trust this message? Well, if you're like me, you're probably search for somebody who, who has done investigative work. There's a man named Lee Strobel. Lee was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, uh, and he was married to his wife, Leslie, and uh, they had a great life. They were atheists. And then in 1979, his wife came home and said, I'm a Christian. Lee, of course, his world was turned upside down, and, and he set about using his journalist talents to uh, investigate the claims of Christianity that, so that he could bring it home and say, see, it's all nonsense. And after two years of deep study and investigation, Lee Strobel surrendered his life to Jesus. And you can see all of the evidence as he, as he packed it together uh, in a book that he wrote called The Case for Christ. But what Lee came across was a number of, of just irrefutable pieces of evidence. What were those pieces of evidence? Let me, let me outline just a few of them for you. Let me just tick off four, okay? The first one is Jesus was dead on Good Friday. Everybody agrees that Jesus was dead on Good Friday. You know, you can look at all of these eyewitness accounts and people on all sides believed that Jesus was dead. His disciples, as they backed away, believed that Jesus was dead. The women who followed him from Galilee watched as he was buried. They knew that Jesus was dead. In fact, uh, Joseph, who buried him, was a member of the Sanhedrin. This is the Jewish people who were persecuting him. And he buried Jesus knowing that Jesus was dead. So the Jewish leaders knew Jesus was dead. And before Joseph took the body, he went to Pilate, who was over the Roman uh, centurion that, that was crucifying Jesus. Pilate was actually surprised that Jesus was already dead. So he questioned the centurion, and the centurion said, yeah, Jesus is dead. Everybody on all sides, at the end of the day on Good Friday, said Jesus is dead. Everybody agreed. That's the first piece of evidence, that Jesus was dead on Good Friday. In fact, scholars all over the place agree, even ones who are hostile to Christian faith. The second piece of evidence is that on Sunday morning, Easter morning, the original Easter morning, the tomb of Jesus was empty. Again, this is one of the things that everybody agrees. You know, uh, the, the soldiers who were placed to, to uh, guard the tomb came to the Jewish leaders and said, hey, I want you to know the tomb is empty. The Jewish leaders said, okay, the tomb is empty. Well, we're going to pay you to say that the disciples stole the body. If the tomb was not empty, they would have just gone and found the body, right? But the tomb was empty. And then in our story, as we read this passage of scripture, the women said the tomb was empty. They showed up to the empty tomb, the disciples. Everybody knew that Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. So the agreement was Friday, Jesus is dead. Sunday, the tomb is empty. The third piece of evidence that I want to point out to you is that the disciples began to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. Now you might be thinking, okay, that doesn't prove anything. That doesn't prove anything at all, you know, because of course, if they were making this up, they would have proclaimed that Jesus was raised from the dead. So what does that prove? I want to, to just point out the picture that we see of the disciples 
after Jesus is crucified, they're this scared, huddled together group of people trying to figure out what life is now that their Messiah is gone. They're trying to preserve their lives. And yet in a very short time, all of a sudden they're boldly proclaiming the resurrection of the dead. N.T. Wright is uh, one of my favorite New Testament scholars you can catch. He's got lots of books. He's, uh, you can catch him all over YouTube. Uh, but a very, very well-respected New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, as he catalogs the people who claim to be the Messiah, and there were a number around the time of Jesus. We're talking maybe a 300-year window. All of the times that someone came claiming to be the Messiah and they built a revolution, the Messiah would be killed, and then the revolutionaries who were left had two choices— either give up the revolution or find another Messiah. It was never a Jewish idea that the Messiah would be raised to life. And in fact, the threat is after you kill the leader, you can kill all the rest of them, which is why the disciples were scared. So how do we account for the fact that in a very short period of time, the disciples who were terrified and fearful for their lives begin to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus? How do we account for that? Which brings me to my fourth piece of evidence is that Jesus was seen alive by eyewitnesses. Shortly after the, the empty tomb thing happens, uh, Mary runs into Jesus alive. And then shortly after that, Jesus runs into a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus alive. And then he shows up at dinner with all the disciples alive. And then uh, Paul uh, writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he writes this, he says, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. What Paul is saying, Paul wrote this within probably 20 or 25 years of the resurrection of Jesus. So well within the time that these people would still be alive. And what Paul is saying is, if you don't believe it, these people are still alive. Go find them and ask them about it. Listen, this would be damaging if you were making up a, an, a, a, the idea that Jesus was raised from the dead. You wouldn't want people to go ask questions because you would be found to be a liar. But Paul says, no, they're still alive. They saw Jesus, 500 people at the same time way more than could be a mass hallucination. Go ask them about it. See what their experience is. Check it out for yourself. If the story was made up, no way he would have done that. All of this evidence, and you can find more if you really want to, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, but all of this evidence points to the reality that the resurrection of Jesus can be trusted. There's just no better explanation for all these facts. And if what you need to conclude that Jesus has been raised from the dead, if you're sitting on the cusp of Christian faith today, and you're like, I just need to know that I'm not going to be tricked. Listen, friend, there are so, there's so much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus that you can trust your life to Jesus. You can trust the resurrection. But here's the thing. I know, and you know, that often it's not just facts that we're looking for, right? Like, often we've got enough evidence to make this decision, 
but we're just not sure because we're afraid of what the implications might be, right? That, that, that if we choose to accept this message that Jesus is the raised Messiah, what does that mean? And my life might feel a little bit out of control, and, and I just don't know how I feel about that. Friend, if that's you, you're in good company. Do you know who else was terrified about the implications of the resurrection? It was the disciples of Jesus. The disciples of Jesus, because here's the thing. It's evident as we read this scripture that the disciples had no idea what the resurrection would mean. In fact, it's fairly evident they didn't even really catch that this was going to happen, right? You know, the disciples are looking for this powerful military warrior, one that wouldn't be killed. They'd kick out the Romans and establish the rule and reign of God in military might, and Jesus died. They had no idea that he was going to be resurrected. The women, they went home and they're preparing spices for this body that they know is going to stay dead because dead people stay dead. And when they show up to the tomb with these spices to, to, to take care of the smell of a rotting corpse, the corpse that they saw 36 hours before where it was laid was not there. What was their first thought? Somebody must have moved the body. Their first thought wasn't that Jesus would be resurrected. And the, it was the angels that had to say, don't you remember that he said this? And when the, when the women went to go tell the disciples that Jesus has been resurrected, the scripture tells us that the disciples are like, that's nonsense. They didn't know what the resurrection of Jesus was going to mean for their lives. It wasn't like they were waiting with bated breath. All of them were surprised. They were shocked. They were stunned. Peter gets to the, the tomb and sees that, that Jesus is not there. And the scripture says he's wondered what had happened. He's amazed at what had happened. He's not sure what this means for life. Friend, if you are, are struggling with what this means for your life, you're in good company because so are the disciples. You know, it's not till after they get a hold of the fact that Jesus has indeed been raised, that they begin to piece together that Jesus has been saying this is going to happen all along. That's, that's how our, us reading Luke is a little bit like watching the sixth sense for the second time. It's not till you capture the reality of the plot twist that all the things begin to make sense. Friend, there's a time at which you stand on the edge of belief in the resurrection and you have all the facts that you need. You know what decision you need to make and yet there's a fear that you're looking into the darkness, staring at the deep unknown because you have no idea what it's going to mean for your life. And there's many of us there today that we're standing at the edge of belief in Jesus but it feels like if we choose to step into the mist and give our lives to Jesus, that we will forever be out of control, that we will forever lose control, that our lives will never be the same. And friends, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and it's a terrifying experience. But can I encourage you to press through, to take the step, because here's the thing. 
The reason Jesus died in the first place was because he loved you, because he created you, and because he knows what your life is for. To surrender your life to the resurrected Christ is to put it into the hands that know what to do with it. Friend, I want to encourage you today, wherever you are, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for decades, or maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you today to put your life into the resurrected hands that know what to do with it. The invitation to you today is to surrender to Jesus. Listen, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, can I invite you right now, wherever you are, before we move to communion, to surrender. And, and I'm just going to lead you through a short prayer. Would you pray this way with me and make this prayer your own? Jesus, I choose today to surrender, to hand you my life, all the things that I think that I have, all the baggage that I carry, Jesus, I put it in your hands. I ask, Lord, that by your death, on the cross that you would forgive my sin, all the ways that I've wandered off, that you would make me new and forgive me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and live inside of me, direct my steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, would you let me know? I would love to just pray to bless what God is doing in your life. 